MailChimp presents. Hello, friend. I'm Paul Jarvis. Welcome to Call Paul, a show where I get to ring up some of the most interesting minds in small business and have thoughtful conversations about their unconventional approaches to commerce. I've run my own small company for the last 21 years, and I've written books on how bigger isn't always better in business. In this season, I'm talking to folks who are prioritizing doing the right thing over just the most profitable. Some are starting something brand new, standing up their businesses in an entirely new environment. Others have been at it a while, working to ensure their continued sustainability through turbulent times. And there's a lot to learn from everyone. In Bengal, we have a concept, uh, what's called Adda, uh, A-D-D-A. And the, the concept of Adda is your entire family gathering together in, in the evening time to basically just talk over a cup of tea. Chao is this inextricable part of, of daily life. That's Ani Sanyal, co-founder of Kolkata Chai Co., which he runs with his brother, Ayan. It was Ian who first had the idea of a chai cafe when he took a trip to India to escape the burnout he was feeling from their other business, a creative agency. We were, you know, kind of just going 150 miles an hour and he was like, hey, I'm taking three weeks off to go to India and just eat and, you know, relax and recharge. That's where he kind of fell in love with this concept. He started making it when he got home and fast forward about two and a half, three years, you know, we reopened our, our first retail footprint in New York. Kolkata Chai Co. was started with this simple idea from these two brothers. How could they bring the authenticity and communal experience of a cup of masala chai to New York City? Because a cup of chai is more than just a hot drink. And their mother made sure they understood that from a young age. You know, my mom was really instrumental in making sure my brother and I learned about our culture in India back home. You know, she would drag us there for summers and, you know, kind of any opportunities she got. Obviously, she was homesick, but she really made that uh, emphasis and effort to make sure we were tapped in to what our culture and what our people, what our family was. So for somebody who's never had a cup of chai, can you describe the smell, the experience? Can you describe chai? Chai is a juxtaposition of so many things. It's sweet and spicy. It's milky. It's not thick. And so, you know, the chai that we really grew up drinking is very kind of cardamom forward. And so you get that really uh, nuanced flavor of cardamom and you, it's, a, it's a milk tea. So it's, you know, it, it comes hot, but for some reason, whether it's 90 degrees outside or 30 degrees outside, it doesn't feel out of place. You know, chai is just a, it's a compliment to, to a lot of different, you know, moods and, and where you are in your day. When you come to the Western world, it's been bastardized and watered down in so many ways that you don't, you don't realize like there's something a billion plus people enjoy every day in one form. And then, you know, you go to the other side of the world and it's completely different um, and, and not authentic. So for us as storytellers, as, as marketers, as product people, you know, it was just a, a no brainer to be like, this is a story that has to be told the right way. What does selling chai look like? Because you said it, it, it's different over here in the West, right? So what does, what does the act of selling chai look like in India? 
So if you go to 98% of cafes in America and you order a chai, you're going to get a concentrate version, right? So they're going to mix concentrate um, with milk, heat it up for you, maybe throw some pumpkin spice uh, in there and, and call it a chai. Um, you go to India, you go to Pakistan, you go to Bangladesh, you go to any South Asian country, and there's people with a big stove and a big vat, a big pot, and they're just constantly stirring up this mix of the milk, the tea, the spices, and they, they literally take a big ladle, and they pour in, you know, pour you a little cup out of that big pot, and they go right back to stirring it. You know, we use that same big pot process in our cafe in New York City. And so throughout the day, our chefs are, you know, making it um, live right there in a big pot and, and serving it to replicate that flavor, that freshness that doesn't come from a, from a cup of concentrate. In the documentary uh, that, that you all made, which I think is awesome that you have a bunch of um, documentary videos on your YouTube channel, one of the things that stood out was you said people have to put their own identity in the context of somebody else. Um, and that really stood out to me. Can you elaborate on that and how that kind of informed the brand and the identity? I think, you know, for us as first generation kids, you know, our parents are immigrants uh, from India and we were born here and and we grew up and learned with our parents, you know, and, and so, but at the same time, our identity was very different because it was a, a meeting point of two different ways of thought, right? It was the American dream, quote unquote, and it was the actual mud and, and circumstances from where they came from. And so, you know, our identity is, is always in the context of, of other things. And with Kolka the Chai, it's not from where you're from or where your family's from and, and you're not completely representing where you grew up. You have this, this melded identity and you have this, this fusion of different thought. And surprisingly enough, there's not too many places, at least, you know, that we're aware of that celebrate that type of thinking. So before there was the cafe, there was uh, the first version of Kolkata Chai. Can you explain a bit about the many evolutions um, the company has gone through? Yeah, so my brother and I, you know, we, we ran a marketing agency, creative agency, and still do. And, and we were on the front lines of watching people develop, iterate, and, and we were helping take products to market. And so this idea of product market fit, this idea of, you know, reaching critical mass, this idea of testing while you go and iterating, you know, on the go, these were things that we were helping other people do. And sometimes they would take our advice, sometimes they wouldn't, and we would lament like, you know, well, you should have done that. And, and so when we decided to launch Coca the Child, we decided to literally, you know, take our own medicine. And the, the first thing that we had to do was make sure that there was enough demand, you know, to, to take a big step such as opening a retail space. And that came in the form of about 18 months of, of farmers markets, of pop-up shops, of food festivals. The idea was, you know, what can we learn from our audience in real time, you know, by getting customer feedback at point of sale, by, by walking around, talking to people, um, getting, you know, gauging reactions, running surveys, just being really, really involved with the product. So we went through a very kind of iterative step-by-step process. I mean, my brother woke up, you know, at 7 a.m. for 16 weeks in a row to make it to the farmer's market, rain, hail, or shine in uh, Jersey City. And, you know, you grow, you go from having five sales a day to 15 sales a day and you figure out what, what did that, you know, what, what was the reason? Was it the oat milk variation that we introduced? Was it the weather? Uh, was it the fact that we changed our sign? Just being product people with a marketing mind, I think is like one of our biggest uh, assets. 
it's still a big leap to go from not having to pay rent and not having a physical location to opening up a cafe in one of the busiest and most expensive cities in the world, right? Yeah. So walk me through what that process looked like and what that kind of involved. The idea of of owning a real you know retail space in Manhattan, what I think is the epicenter of the world for for my brother and I, you know, first generation immigrant kids, it it was unfathomable. Like that that was not something that we believed could happen. But I think it was a, a you know a confluence of different things. I think first of all. Um, through our agency business, we had been really strategic about investing and finding ways for our, our money to work for us. And we invested in real estate. We invested in a couple of different things. We were coming into the, this, this retail business with a little bit of capital, which I think is so important for, for entrepreneurs and business people. You know, it's, you can always raise money, but you, you know, give away equity, you give away control. Um, you can come kind of limp into the game and hope that you're able to strike, strike a match. But I think being well capitalized was something that really helped us. Um, the second thing was we were noticing, uh, just these cultural forces that were playing to our favor. I'm talking about Hassan Minaj having, you know, a show on Netflix and Mindy Kaling, you know, taking it to new height. And we're noticing the South Asian culture is having its first kind of Renaissance period in this country. Something that, you know, as, as an eighties baby, I had been trying to find my way, you know, and trying to find my place in, in this world and in this culture for so long. And here it was unfolding in front of me. And that really... Uh, sparked us to be like, hey, look, the time is never going to be better. And if you're not the first, then that becomes, you know, a bigger problem. So we were kind of inspired by that. And then the third thing was just, um, you know, again, a simple thing for, for entrepreneurs and businesses is literally just like dotting our I's and crossing our T's in terms of hiring good lawyers, um, partnering with, you know, a good broker and really vetting people and uh, negotiating the hell out of, you know, a commercial lease to the point where, you know, our, our agent was like, how did you guys learn to negotiate? What's it like working with your brother? And how do you define uh, your individual roles? So my brother and I are literally opposites in so many ways. And so with this business, it's like the, the yin and yang that's come together. He is the master of product. So the chai recipe and, and when you taste that mix, that is 100% him. That's all his experimentation. He runs the entire food menu and he also runs the entire retail operation. So anytime, you know, our customer service is through the roof or that, that cup of chai is, is perfect. That's, that's all him and, and his team. Um, and my responsibilities are everything else on the marketing, content, digital partnerships. He, he'll tell me, well, I don't know what's going on on social media. So you just do it. And I honestly couldn't start a stove to make a cup of chai for my life. And, and that's just the, um, that's the dynamic that we have. And, and that's how we, we work. So then you have the cafe. What was, what was the opening like? <laughs> opening night. Oh man. In the hindsight with COVID, it, it's so funny to think that these things existed, but, um, opening night, 2019, uh, we opened in September about two months after we had anticipated. So we were paying the lease in this place, making no money. You know, we were, we were very stressed, but we were noticing a really interesting groundswell happening on social media. So there were just a lot of engagement, a lot of interest. And I actually directed my team to, this is one of the craziest things I've done, but it's to literally reach out to every person that liked or commented or engaged with the photo to DM them one-on-one -on -one and be like, Hey, thanks so much for engaging. Our opening night's coming up. Can we get your email? And we scaled this one-to-one -one interaction to the point where we had, I think 1200 RSVPs for a, for a four seater cafe. 
you know, and, and so the momentum going into opening night was really special. I remember my parents came uh, the night before and Kolkata is a, is a city that my parents uh, both grew up in. Um, it's the, it's the city that my parents took us back to where we got to meet our extended family. Um, on my parents' first date, my mom spilt tea on my dad because she was so nervous. And, and so having them come to the cafe the night before was just a really emotional kind of full circle moment for us to be like, Hey, we did this for you guys, you know? And the next day you could, there was just a certain palpable energy. We had just got a big review in a, in either. I could, I could sense something was happening. I didn't know where it was going to go. You know, I didn't know we would have 700 people line up. I didn't know people would be lined up for four hours to drink one cup of chai. You know, I didn't know Mindy Kaling would be tweeting about it, talking about, you know, oh, wow, I want to cook at a chai now. But I, I do remember the moment that I shared with my parents being there, seeing the line and them just being like, this is incredible. Oh, it's amazing. So how long were you able to run the cafe as a cafe before um, the pandemic? <laughs> Six months uh, to the day from September wow. 18th to March 18th. Yep. So then what did it, what was it like to pivot, right? Like you had to go from one day people can come in buy chai next day. Nobody can come in and sit and buy chai. Right. So what, what did that look like to just basically have to go from one day to literally the next day and be like, okay, we, we got to pivot or it's not going to work. So those first six months were full of, you know, learnings and tripping over ourselves to even try to figure out the operation at that point. You know, we, things like labor and, and, you know, supplies and just the fundamentals, we were still, you know, figuring those things out. So COVID hit, I think our, our bank balance was like, you know, maybe, maybe we had 30 days of, of cash. The winter in New York really does a number on your business, which is something we didn't know. So um, we were coming into, coming into March, just being, you know, a little bit on the defensive. And then once COVID hit, it was like, you know, we, just started putting ourselves in our customer's shoes. I think that was the most important approach that we took, right? If, if you're scared and you're not leaving the house, if you're not willing to leave, how can we bring our product to you? You know, and we really focused on that customer experience. Um, a couple of things that we did that really saved the business. We started doing um, our own delivery system. So we had resisted doing third-party deliveries to that point because it's just how predatory they are in terms of fees and, and structure. So we said, you know, screw it, we'll build it ourselves. And we basically built a Google form, set up a couple of things. We transformed our baristas into like these logistics people. And we started doing deliveries um, around the five boroughs. My brother and I in, in our Nissan Rogue just shipping, you know, 15 boxes of chai around the city per day. And that was exceeding the cafe revenue that we were doing at that time anyway. Wow. So that was a really interesting moment. We were like, oh my gosh. And then it got a little bit too dangerous to do delivery. You don't even want to be in the in the line of, of fire. So then we said, all right, e-commerce is, is the only way out. And then we basically figured out a way to package our dry mix, built out an e-commerce store. And uh, the month of March, I think in, in a week, we had basically done enough revenue to pay for our rent for the next three months. Like it was an explosive product market fit moment from the beginning. And so that's when it became clear to me, like customer behavior is changing and how people are looking to shop is changing. And if we don't meet a robust kind of online e-commerce, if we don't, if we don't meet the needs for that, then we're going to be in danger. And so since then, you know, we've been, uh, we've been building that out. And I think we, we, you know, we did 
nearly six figures of revenue just in the last three months of the year. So from October to December, kind of the holiday period, um, we had set a very aggressive revenue goal. And to be at that point versus where we were in March, it, you know, it's just, it's just been a really intense period of growth. How do you sustain momentum with this, right? Because it starts out as no physical location, then a cafe, then delivery, then selling e-commerce. I guess it's um, like dry chai. Yeah, I think one thing for us that has really saved us in this pandemic is our ability to be top of mind for people, just staying on top of their mind. And so the things that we did for momentum were a couple of things. We did a we did a couple of collaborations, which were really timely. Um, we did a collaboration with Mikey Likes It, a black-owned ice cream shop. You know, Mikey is a like established small business in New York. He's catered for Obama, uh, Jay Z, Oprah. Like, you know, he's like the the creme de la creme. And uh, Mikey's a great guy. We did a, a chai caramel ice cream. We did a, a ice cream chai float, and we did chai waffles with uh, vanilla caramel ice cream in these like three socially distant pop-up events throughout July. So that was like immediately kind of kept us on top of people's mind. And then from a marketing side, we are constantly storytelling. And what I mean by that is whether it's something as simple as a micro Instagram story moment where we're producing it and making it feel like it's something that people want to buy into or whether it's, you know, a documentary, you know, like we, we created a documentary in real time while COVID was happening. Right. So um, I think one thing we're, we're really focused on is like, how do we constantly storytell, even if it's not all perfect? You know, we took our chai, our e-commerce, we started doing recipes with what else can you make, you know, out of your chai kit. We started doing Instagram lives with different chefs and, um, you know, other people in the community to say, hey, you know, uh, go crazy with this chai kit. Uh, we started doing a, a weekly trivia night on our Instagram live from the cafe where my brother and I would like do this really fun trivia. Brown people love trivia, by the way. Um, and we would give away chai kits and stickers and, and samples nice. and t-shirts. And, you know, we just, we just like tried to find moments of escapism for people during, you know, a very dark time. And we, we just brought our product into that mix without it being kind of like forced on people. How do you feel about your business then doing okay through it when so many other cafes and restaurants are struggling? Yeah, I think there's an element, a little bit of survivor's guilt, but at the end of the day, we're both really competitive people and we came into this business to be the best, you know, and I, and I think there's no shame in that. And so we're growing and, and God willing, we continue to, you know, to, to do the right things. Um, it's a validation for us as first time restaurateurs to be like, you guys didn't know anything, but in the same vein, you knew, you know, you knew just enough and you, you knew what you needed to know to, to keep it, to keep it growing. And I think what it does also is give us a really strong idea of the future that if we can grow during COVID, you know, when, and if this thing lifts, we have a really exciting, you know, next couple of years ahead of us. And that's how, that's how I see that. What do you want it to be and what do you intend it to be? And how do you want people to think about it when they think about it? Yeah, I, I was a brown kid growing up in the 90s and, and there was no reference points, right? And nowadays that's changed a lot. But I think what Kolkata represents is example of what happens when you are authentic to your own story and to your own culture. Um, and you deliver it in a way to people that is 
a reflection of, of who you are and where you come from and the possibilities that exist when you do that, right? So whether you're, you know, from, from Somalia, whether you're from, you know, Pakistan or wherever it is, there, there's so many things that are unique to you and your people. A lot of times we're ashamed of them or we don't know if you want to highlight them. Kolkata uh, Chai is, our mission is to, is to remind you that your perspective is powerful and that that culture is what brings, you know, us all together and food is, you know, it, it's, it's, it communicates stories and feelings in a way that no other medium does. So that, that's a big part of our mission. Um, from a business side, I think we have tapped into a really interesting, expansive mindset when it comes to like people that share this, this same notion of, well, I was born here, but my family's here. And therefore, you know, my identity is a, is a, is a combination of different things. And we represent those people. And so that extends into food, to media, to, you know, content, to, um, we want to do music festivals. We want to do, you know, um, larger events and, and, and talks and panels. And, you know, we feel like there's an entire uh, footprint that we can, that we can create under the guise of food, but that really brings people together at, at a massive level. On the, on the more personal side of running a business, it's hard to run a business normal times, right? <laughs> <laughs> last year was not normal times for, for a number of reasons. How do you manage the stress of doing that? Or what does that aspect of, of running a business look like for you and your brother? We, we've been working together for almost, you know, seven, eight, nine years now. So we have a good cadence and we understand each other. At the same time, we clash, you know, and there was points in the business last year where we were clashing a lot. And we understood that that was affecting the business and it was affecting us personally. And so, being really honest and transparent about fixing things at the root for business owners, I think is, is critical. You know, like if there's something bothering you, it's going to affect your business. So you got to make sure you take care of yourself. Um, I think during COVID and just, you know, for the, for the future of all this, I think one thing that we have to accept is that every day is different. And so that pressure that you put on yourself or that, that, you know, those expectations you have, you have to be able to adjust and be agile in the face of all that. And, um, and I think one thing we do is we take things day by day. We have a 30 day plan. We have a 90 day plan. We have a five year plan, but at the end of the day, it's literally, what are we doing today? What do I need to do to, you know, execute today? And, and we run it, we run it like that. So it seems like you're running a food business, like a software company in that you're focusing on digital first. Can you speak to that a little bit? restaurants have been grandfathered in for so many years as this like very um, static concept, right? People come, if there's an exchange that happens there, food for, for money, and then you leave. And the idea that you could fall in love with a, a food brand concept idea online and then support them however you want was something that's really, you know, intriguing to us. And we studied, you know, some of our, our favorite brands kind of that came out of the direct to consumer boom, you know, brands like Casper or Allbirds and, and similar uh, of these, uh, those are more like super VC funded concepts, which I have my thoughts on, but just this idea of like, you really learn and meet somebody online before you meet them in real life in, in so many ways. So we wanted to build a food brand that reflected that because whether we have one store in New York city or we have, you know, 10 stores, our ability to reach people online is always going to be exponential. And, uh, and that's, that's like a, a very important ethos, you know, to our, to our company. 
I want to I want to dream a little bit. What do you think the cafe or or the brand or company in general is going to look like or grow into or pivot to once this pandemic is over? I think our goal is to extend our retail footprint in a couple key markets. You know, we want to be on the West Coast. Uh, we want to be somewhere in the South, like uh, either Dallas or Virginia, somewhere in there where there's these large pockets of people from the diaspora really uh, would support this type of product. We want to raise the profile of this to, to you know, being a national brand that is um, talked about the same way that you talk about a milk bar or, you know, um, some of these other like niche companies that have, that have exploded. There's so much value you can provide to people outside of just a product. And for us, it was really um, giving a people a space, both digitally and in the physical world, where they felt like they could come learn, share, grow, laugh, you know, and, and do these things that most restaurants or most, you know, food places don't think about. And, and so community has just been like uh, our, you know, our X factor through all of this. Although 2020 had challenges for Kolkata Chai Co. that required several pivots, the one thing that was never in question was their connection to their community. Even as people could no longer linger at their cafe, they used it to bring people together online, through virtual concerts and even trivia nights. Along with this, they moved slowly and iteratively. So they didn't open up a store with rent instantly, they first tested out their recipe at farmer's markets. This is useful even if you're not selling chai. I mean, I use this approach for software too. Perhaps the biggest takeaway is that they're true to themselves in everything that they do, and they let that lead their decisions. The business is about more than sales and marketing for these two brothers. Their brand and ethos is bridging the connection between two cultures and their company is a reflection of both. Just like the act of drinking chai itself, the Kolkata Chai Co. is about more than just tea. It's about the connection and communal act of sharing culture. And everyone, regardless of background, is welcome to join in. Next Friday, I'll be chatting with a wife and husband team who took an emotional talisman and turned it into a funded business that's not just a marketplace, but a community. And then another thing that sneakers act is they act as um, emotional talisman, I like to call them, right? There are people who can look at a pair of sneakers, whether they own it or not, and draw back to a moment in their life, a moment that they may never get back, a moment that's special to them. I hope you'll join us. In the meantime, you can check out the Small Business Spotlight, also in the Call Paul feed. They're audio diaries from business owners, giving you a behind-the-scenes peek at the day-to-day of running a company. These stories are pretty great. I think you'll really enjoy them. Call Paul is wonderfully produced by Ruth Eddy and is a MailChimp original podcast. Subscribe now in your favorite podcast player so you can check out all our other episodes and seasons. And if you want more awesome content, check out MailChimp.com slash presents.